Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Translation Company Talk, your weekly podcast show delivering you content about translation and localization. My name is Sultan Ghaznawi. I will be your host as usual. Today we are going to be discussing corporate globalization. Large organizations that venture beyond traditional markets have to undergo corporate globalization, which is not just decision-making, but also a thought process on how to get your brand presence and idea in places where you can make the most impact. To talk about that, I have invited Anna Enschlegel from NetApp. Anna Enschlegel is Vice President of the Global Portfolio to Market Lifecycle Organization at NetApp. In her role, she oversees a variety of teams including enterprise globalization, information engineering, and product portfolio solutions. Anna has worked in the tech industry in the Silicon Valley for over 20 years, leading teams at Cisco, VMware, Xerox, and VeriSign. Anna serves as the global executive sponsor of NetApp's Women in Technology organization, where she focuses on developing female leaders in the tech industry. She's also the co-founder of Women in Localization, the leading professional organization for women in the localization industry, with over 5,000 members worldwide. Anna speaks six languages, she's a native of Catalonia, and lives with her family in Santa Clara, California. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Anna. Thank you. Nice being here. Well, while I have read your book and uh, have some background, let me ask you about your start in the translation and localization industry. Please share a few words. I was very young when I was when I started. I think I was 16. And, oh, wow. Uh, my, my mom's cousin gave me a job translating the first technical manuals that I had no clue what I was translating, but I did it. <laughs> Tell me about it. How did it go? <laughs> it didn't go that well. <laughs> I, you know, he was very kind and gave me a lot of feedback. And um, I understood that um, to be a good translator, you needed to study a lot and, you you know, you needed to understand the product very, very well. Right, right, right. And uh, basically, you, you started at such an early age and you've come a long way. You, you've seen the industry inside and out. The world has changed so much. I think technology made that process even faster. What has your view of this industry been as it evolved since you started? Well, thank God for, um, you know, aided translation tools that we've all had to learn along the way and for uh, different formats that made it possible. And um, I think, and with my teams, we've always played and uh, coordinated and talked a lot with the technology companies that were building uh, tools to aid translators. Um, I remember, um, you know, working with IBM on machine learning already in the early 90s, um, getting paired uh, with a mentor at something that was called uh, Global Sight uh, back then, uh, working right. with the, the first um, original owners of the Trado software. So we we understood that we alone couldn't translate all the content in the world. Um, there's too many translations that are needed to help people around the world in you know medical fields and um terrible situations around the globe. So we always push the technology companies uh, with requirements and, and conversations on how to do things easier for us. And then you've seen everything evolve since then. Uh, I'm talking about the, the, the formats, the, the technology that processes those formats, and even the mindset of people. What has your general observation been in terms of where the technology brought our industry to? Uh, was it, uh, you know, fast enough that would meet your expectation in terms of how it evolves? It was not fast enough and it's still not fast enough. Um, I think we've been, you know, I'm 52 now. I got in the business like at 16 or 17 and we're still talking about machine translation. So, it, no, it's not fast enough. Uh, but it got now it's at a very good place where um, you even so, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, Google get in and do machine learning. And it's it's the hyperscalers, it's these major beasts that are pushing the, the envelope in a way 
that we've never seen before because smaller agencies or companies that are in the uh, tooling business didn't have the capacity that these uh, giants have. Uh, so I think we're in a very good place to to leapfrog and do and do really cool stuff right now. Tell me about what you're up to these days. What do you do? Well, so I do many things. I'm an author, so I do a fair amount of writing. Um, I am a community builder, so I uh, participate in in five nonprofits right now. Um, I am one of the fa- the three founders of Women in Localization, where we have right. five to seven thousand members. Uh, that is an incredible machine that um, provides the most thought leadership I've ever seen of, of any one organization on localization in the world. I mean, we have nearly 30 chapters that are consistently producing incredible content around the globe, you know, being Singapore, or the Ukraine or Russia or China or, you know, Catalonia. So uh, that's a big passion. And then during the day, Uh, I am a vice president of the portfolio to market at NetApp, uh, where I manage uh, three centers of excellence. And um, I also happen to be the the global executive for women in technology there. So I work on on things that are passions. And um, I can do all these things because I have incredible, incredible, incredible leaders. that I spent a lot, a lot of time talking with um, about solutions and prototypes and where we need to go. And so, yeah, community and innovation are my passions. And and I've read your book, uh, Truly Global, The Theory and Practice of Bringing Your Company to International Markets. What an impressive piece of art it is, because I enjoyed every word that's written in there. In that book, you talk about how to set up a globalization department, what teams should look like, and overall, how to operate globalization teams. Please tell me, what is uh, corporate globalization? A lot of people have a very vague idea. It's not very clear to them. Yeah, corporate globalization is a huge unknown. And um, in fact, we spend more time talking about what it is than actually doing it many times. Corporate globalization in the, the bottom line is to help these companies go global. It's a big orchestration. So you need to understand the the footprint that the company wants to have, what countries do they want to be in, and how they're going to do it. So is it through channels, through OEM models, through uh, direct selling, e-commerce, joint ventures. And so once you understand the countries and the ways the company is going to sell their products, then you set up the team to see all of that through. And globalization is everything. Everything that the company will want to do in another country, you have to think through pricing, you have to think through uh, trade compliance, you think about uh, the local experience on support, on uh, on digital experience, on professional services, all the you know all the content that the user is is going to need um, if they need to return something upgrade it uh, test it demo it um, set it up set it up with other products so you have to think through all of this so globalization is a big orchestration a lot of people think that uh, globalization um, I remember when I first wrote the book, I was invited to talk about Trump's policies. And uh, I, I had to explain that I was not into politics, you know, but <laughs> rather um, trying to help companies that have good products that can help uh, other countries, you know, set up shop in all these other countries or enter those countries to sell these, these great products and ideas. Uh, let's break that down into simpler pieces. If a company wants to start operating beyond their current market demographic, they will need to think about uh, about that in a global sense, as you just mentioned. Where do you start with that? Whose job is it to think about it and, and plan for a global expansion? So usually, in my experience, it's actually the board of directors of a public or a private company, or it's the C-suite 
uh, team that makes those decisions because entering another country is a big deal, especially um, if it's not just a purely online e-commerce transaction where you need to ship product and you need to price stuff and forget it if you need to open offices, you need to bring in lawyers and human resources. So those are really big questions. Um, and where I've been exposed to, it's only in high tech. So I've never run a globalization team, let's say for just uh, you know Facebook or uh, some social media or a gaming company where the, the experience is a little bit different. But the decisions are, are made at the very top. Get, getting into you know Asia or getting into uh, the Middle East, those are big, big decisions because you're going to have to have salespeople, you're going to have to have policies, um, you know, set up uh, entities, etc. So usually the, these discussions are made or are had at the very, very top. Now, once it's decided that, you know, we got into Canada and next we're going to get into the UK, then that's when the globalization teams get in and start studying, okay, first we're going to create the websites, maybe we tackle marketing first, then we're going to go for the product, then you need to support the product, then you need professional services, etc. Well, on that note, is there a difference between uh, globalization for a digital organization, as you mentioned, just like Facebook, and an organization that has actual brick and mortar presence in different countries that's selling tangible product? Companies that put a, a physical product um, into another country go through different processes. So they're going to have a very large manufacturing operation. Uh, you know, you need all the global trade compliance, uh, lots of uh, certificates uh, to fill out rules and laws to understand. Um, it's not that, you know, Google doesn't have those same headaches, but we, for example, NetApp has to ship physical hardware into other countries. Right. And so you need to have manufacturing centers around the world and understand what centers are going to serve what countries. That is a whole other, you know, shipping and boxing and instructions in the box. Very, very different process. Added bonus. <laughs> so if, if you are a lo localization leader where your job has been to maintain localization for the product or documentation your company is offering, how do you uh, transition from that mindset into a corporate globalization role and, and mindset? That's, uh, that's the million dollar question because <laughs> I see most people still being um, in, you, you need both. Um, it's not that they don't want to do it, but I think you, you end up needing, you know, a head of globalization that understands the end to end. And then in that team, you need very strong localization leaders. Um, and many localization leaders end up being the globalization heads for companies. But then when you do the jump from localization to globalization, you get into talking to country managers, you're talking to salespeople, um, you get into larger discussions of um, what's broken around the world so that you can improve things like pricing or you know, different ways of doing support. If you're the head of localization, you're very uh, focused on managing the vendors, making sure that the localization happens at the deepest levels, and you move that whole very complex machinery of grabbing context and content. And content can be a keyword, it can be right. a line of code, it can be you know um, uh, a white paper or a demand gen campaign or a banner for an airport and you take care of those things. So localization teams are part of the globalization effort, but globalization does not at all mean localization. Absolutely. Localization is probably a small component of globalization because you're thinking about all these strategic decisions that you have to make down the road. Uh, for example, where, which country or which region your product is uh, relevant for and where it's not. So um, are, are those decisions that are made at the executive level uh, and, and how often like the globalization team is involved in making those decisions? Well, I, I would like to uh, correct something that was just mentioned. So I don't Please. think localization is a small part of globalization. I think localization is a huge part of, of globalization. Um, it depends. And I talk to 
I have a lot of friends that have my my title and my job at other companies. And I think some are more involved with C-suite or executive vice presidents or GMs of business units, um, and they're more part of the discussion. Uh, but I think that if the C-suite is not ready to get into China, then that's a huge, huge year to year long discussion, right? Like, how are right, you right. going to get into China? Um, some, you know, I've been part of it in some companies and I have not been part of it in other companies. So it depends on the relationship or how open that executive team is in involving others in, in um, seeing things come true, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So there's no consistency. It varies from organization to organization, no, basically. No, ideally, ideally, the head of globalization does have a review with the, the CEO or somebody in the C-suite to understand, you know, this is how we're doing in these countries. Um, their, their globalization uh, leaders that work very closely with the chief strategy officer, or I remember when I was the head of globalization at VMware, I used to meet very often with the chief operating officer. And so, um, yeah, you, you definitely want to be connected. <laughs> but but it, it depends on the company, how open, how inclusive, you know, how do they understand globalization? Or, you know, did I do a good job explaining what we need to do also? How does the structure of the organization affect the success of this department? It can kill it. It's it's very, 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 very important. There is, I don't know what the percentage is, but there's many groups that do localization that are ticketing teams. They're like a service organization that take the tickets and like, hey, this group needs a translation and they do a good job and they return the translation. That's where they leave their effort. They have a supporting role. I think globalization is always looked at as a service or supporting role, but right. there's levels of this. And I think um, one of the things we've been able to do wherever I've been is actually be seen as more strategic. Um, and I never wanted to be seen as an agency inside the company. Although in, in you know when I was at Cisco, when we started at Cisco, that's what we were, but it didn't end up that way. So you need to evolve it over time. And what happens is, to evolve it, you need to, you know, make a lot of friends, a lot of networking, a lot of connections, a lot of evangelizing, higher, not at your right. level, not at lower level, but higher, higher, higher. You do need to talk to the head of products, head of strategy, head of marketing, CMOs. And so that is tough. And uh, localizers, um, especially, I think, because what we were saying before, that globalization is often very misunderstood, um, have a hard time and give up. You know, it's just better to do the translations, do a good job, do good quality, talk about the technology and hook up things to the translation management system and leave it at that, because that is already in itself a lot of work. But when you propose to a C team, hey, you know, we're not doing that well in Korea, we're not doing that well in Japan, and this is why, then that's when you start bringing in the strategy in. But you cannot just complain, you need to bring in a solution. We think that if we step this up, if we localize this product, if we, you know, uh, change something about support, we would see some progress, then they will start listening. That's a very interesting view of globalization, and, and we'll get into that a little bit deeper. But what does a globalization team look like, Anna? Can you break down for me the composition of such a team? Uh, well, I can describe my team. Um, so we have the following. We, we I have two leaders right now. So one leader is in charge of the product. Uh, engineering and globalization and um, is also in charge of the support organization. So um, his team, so Sarab, Sarab Kavatekar is the leader of that organization. They are in charge of making sure that our hybrid cloud and cloud products are going to work globally. Um, and then they also own the support uh, connection um, to that organization to see that all the support offerings, the knowledge bases, the call centers, the digital experience, the documentation, everything is ready for those markets. 
And then I have another leader, Edith Vandermacher, who she's the head of localization for the company. And she's more aligned with marketing and sales and channel. Um, she does um, professional services, localization, and um, what else does she do? I mean, she does everything that's not product engineering specific. And there's a third pillar, there's a third team that does all the, what I always call the autobahn, so the, the highway of all the tooling and systems that we need to run the localization process. And so you need to think of three pillars. So basically there is the, the two heads of localization, and then I have a team that's really, really good at implementing the translation management system and then connecting these this TM to everything that moves around that owns content. So any content management system we want hooked up to this. That's why the, we call it a highway. Everything is automated into uh, neural machine learning uh, engines to um, you know uh, databases for gloss glossaries for authoring tools. Um, and so these are the three teams. In these three teams, you see titles like um, internationalization engineer. Uh, we have a lot of program managers. We have strategy uh, leads. Um, we have localization managers. We have tool managers, etc. Again, I'm going to go back to your book. Uh, I understood that globalization can be centralized initiative where everything is decided and acted upon at the headquarters, or it could be a decentralized approach. Please elaborate on what works best and for what type of an organization. What works best is to own it all, because then you can make the decisions. Um, if they're all birds of a feather. In my experience, it works better if we're all together and not split. Um, it's more efficient for the company. You sign less SOWs and SLAs with agencies and tooling and vendors and that kind of stuff. Um, the thought leadership is discussed among professionals. Um, I have seen companies where it's they are and they are and they are and they are not collaborating. I don't like that. Um, I think we're running innovation faster if we all work together. So my work word is together. Um, and yeah, I mean, I know there are companies like Google or Apple that have multiple, multiple localization teams. I recently did uh, some consulting for Google for some product managers where they didn't even know that there was a localization team, right? So uh, I prefer that there is one center of excellence uh, that owns the vision for how the content for the company is going to flow and uh, owns the, the global customer experience. And uh, together, I think they can um, not only do the day-to-day -day job, but sign up to, to run a, a fair amount of innovation to fix things or run with the times. Um, because a lot of things that were okay five years ago are no longer okay. So I prefer to have a good you know, soccer team uh, so that we can run one way or the other way or split in different directions. If, you know, I have a bunch of individual tennis players, I, I, that doesn't work for me. How do you get everybody or all these components in sync and uh, avoid those disparities that you just mentioned? I don't have that problem because I always centralize it. So the way we work is, um, you know, we have some values of innovating together. Um, we, we like speed, we like accountability, we like ownership, we're very transparent. We offer a lot of clarity on, you know, the goals of what we need to do that year. We align very well with product teams and general managers. Um, and we're just well organized. I also have to say that we've been working together for many years now at NetApp. Um, so, so we know each other very well. We train each other on, you know, areas that we are not experts in. So, for example, the latest thing is GitHub for us in the right. last year. You know, we had to learn GitHub and connect GitHub to localization, etc. So, but because, you know, we are together, we choose, okay, who's going to go and learn it and who's going to be um, on task to investigate it, talk to other companies and, and just make it happen. Um, and I like when I can, uh, you know, have the team, place the team, train the team, 
um, that, um, you know, if you have the experience and you have people that want to move forward, that's unstoppable. Um, moving on a little bit, uh, I believe that language is one, but probably the most paramount and important aspect of globalization. What else encompasses the process of globalization? I know you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I would like to hear a little bit more detail. Uh, so it can be a lot of different things. So basically you have to look at um, all the main departments inside the company and you have to globalize one department at a time. And it's very different to globalize human resources than to globalize a product than to globalize, you know, a sales kit or to um, want to go and, and give yourself the crazy goal of uh, gaining three spots in a, in a particular market. Right. And, and so what we do is we have people aligned with the, with those departments and they get embedded and they get very um, well educated, let's say, with HR. You know, what is it that they need to be globalizing? There's tools, there is all hands, there is communications. And so this person in my team that uh, gets familiar with HR, you know, the HR team all know that uh, knows that they have a champion for them and they collaborate all the time on you know their roadmap and and investigate what is it that the the head of hr is going to need and then we make it happen together there's budget included you know there's resources that we need to align um what languages you know what markets and then they collaborate together. And I'm guessing it varies from organization to organization, depending on their priorities and their strategic direction. Oh, absolutely. Very different to globalize a product than to, you know, globalize HR or IT right. or support organization. Yeah. So we grab, you know, for, for example, that's why I was telling you that we have different teams. So some of these people need to be at the engineering level, right? So very different right. than uh, localizing marketing. They need to be marketing uh, experts. Absolutely. How do you, um, uh, looking at, at what's going on in the world right now, how do you interpret the current pandemic and its effect on globalization? Uh, let's say if a startup or even an incumbent uh, company is trying to expand beyond its traditional border boundaries or borders, what should be their line of thinking? What should be their priorities? Go and globalize what people need today. You know, I, I think many, many business models are breaking because things are not needed. I mean, you can see what companies are doing really well, right? Music right. companies, uh, Spotify is doing incredibly well. Uh, gaming companies are doing incredibly well. Netflix. Uh, Netflix, you know, anything social media is doing well. Right. Um, you know, think that you need to align. It's changing. It's changing. And, and uh, so you need to go and work for those companies. <laughs> and um, NetApp is doing really well because we're in, this, in the data management uh, business. So right. imagine the amount of data that Spotify needs, right? And um, NetApp, for example, is behind the, the Pfizer vaccine. So we are uh, Pfizer seeds on NetApp systems. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's breaking everything. And um, But there's also a huge amount of opportunities. So you need to move. You need to understand. You need to go where those opportunities are. And um, yeah, times are changing. So go and find those opportunities, those companies that are transforming themselves. There's many, many companies transforming themselves um, into more cloud, you know, SaaS models, online models, digital experience, super, super important these days. You know, frictionless interaction from, with the customer, um, how can you make the experience better, easier, 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 right? Right, right. That's what the world needs right now, I think. Given that uh, our audience is mostly comprised of executives from the translation localization industry, tell me about the role of vendors in shaping the success of a globalization effort. So, I, you know, I used to uh, own a, a localization agency. I um, and I run uh, the West Coast operation for Aclara, where I'd learned a lot there. So if you're in the technical piece, we need you. We need to have these translations, this content go faster. You know, speed is very, very important. We're always being asked, 
how can we go faster? Because my company is competing with other companies, right? So right. agencies need to understand, um, can they keep up with us? Uh, because speed enables efficiency, efficiency of resources. Uh, you can capitalize on opportunities. You can outmaneuver the competition, that kind of stuff. So they need to understand the pressures we are under. Uh, we, 100%. Yeah. You know, I've always worked, only worked for Fortune companies. These companies are Fortune 500 companies for a reason, that they are the best. And so agencies that want to work with companies uh, like where I've worked, um, they need to help uh, me get things done. Um, they need to increase the energy, the momentum. They need to reduce bureaucracy. Uh, they they need to be positive um, in the work environment, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt you, but in the overall scheme of things in a globalization team or globalization department, where does such a vendor fit? Like, are there many uh, places where they could be plugged into or there are specific uses only? They can be plugged in in marketing teams. They can be plugged in in product teams, in support organizations, you know, in globalization uh, organizations. So there's a huge amount of work to be done. Um, And I know that the top agencies are all working with Microsoft and Google and Apple and Facebook. I mean, the the magnitude of content out there is incredible. I, I think um, I was talking to um, the Common Sense Advisory CEO Forum. I, they, they had maybe their keynote and the right. incredible amount of opportunity that they have because the content is like like the ocean. It just never stops. Um, so they need to understand how we work and line, line themselves up. I, I get requests every single day on LinkedIn, like, can I do your translations? And it makes me wonder, do you, have you studied what, where I work? You know, um, it, it just it seems like there's a huge disconnect sometimes from translating agencies, not understanding what it takes to run a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> um, so, and I, I don't mean this, this respectfully, but you need to understand who you're going after. Absolutely. Um, and then for the translating vendors, I think there is still space there, but neural machine translations are here and um, machine learning is here and artificial intelligence is here and it's getting really, really, really very strong. Um, and so I started as a translator in my, you know, as I was 17. Right. Um, but I don't know that I would have a job. Uh, so there's a lot of post editing and of course there's translators, right? Correcting stuff and translating. Uh, but I think themselves are also uh, very knowledgeable with um, CAD tools and their their experience is very different. I also feel really bad for them because um, the pricing is extremely low. So I don't know how they make a living. Um, and I hope they're all using these machines, you know, and tools and software to to keep them super productive. Um, I think uh, our ecosystem in this industry is very complex and comprising of all kinds of players and stakeholders. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. What value do you expect uh, or demand from your vendor? Speed, clarity, Efficiency. efficiencies, clarity, ownership. You know, if something breaks, let me know really fast. Um, accountability very very important from the vendor they're part of our team we um, sometimes I got in trouble for saying this but the vendors are us the vendors that we have and have had for many many years uh, show incredible great personal commitment they're efficient they're agile in, in, in their responsiveness they help us bring in a super high quality results you know they increase my team power uh, they improve our problem-solving, uh, you know, brain power. We we meet with them all the time to improve our processes, so that I can show up as super competent, you know. So they the vendors is just part of the orchestration basically. And, and they need to understand that they're an extension of your team, and and they must and I guess get deeply involved in what. Your team they are, does. They're they more than deeply involved. <laughs> oh, because it's an interweaving of organizations and people. Oh, yeah. We have unbelievable vendors. 
um, I don't know if I can say, but we work with Pactera and We Localize and Aclaro very, very closely. And they've shown so much, you know, the, the experience of working with them on, on asking us, you know, how can we help you? How can we get this done? If we make mistakes, it's okay. You know, we, we move on, we learn, we move fast. We, we owe everything to these vendors. We, we would not be able to go global without them, basically. A hundred percent. As we discussed earlier, globalization goes far beyond the use of language, as, as you just described it very clearly and eloquently. Can one vendor handle all aspects of your globalization needs? Is there even a, such a, a structure in place? Yeah, well, I don't. I don't do that. Uh, but there are vendors that are, you know they can do everything for you. They can do the translations. They can do the tooling, the authoring, the neural machine learning. Yeah, of course. So you could uh, outsource a d- this department if you're a small organization. Absolutely. There's many people that do that. It's called managed services. Right. The problem with a managed service is you don't do the strategic part. So if you, let's say you're a localization manager that just uses a managed outsource solution, then you're not going to help your company very much. Let's shift gears a little bit here, Anna. Uh, let's talk about digitization and its effect on corporate globalization. We are synthesizing more content than ever before. What does that mean for uh, companies trying to be successful on their strategic target markets? Let me see if I'm understanding your question correctly. So you're saying there's more digitization? Yeah, absolutely. Like more organizations produce digital-only content oh, yeah, compared yeah. to before, right? So And that actually absolutely. makes it easier to publish more as opposed to printed content. What does that mean for, for this industry? Is there going to be more demand? See, what's happening is um, we have attention spans that are very short, um, we move from one topic to the next within 30 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. You know, you see people on WebEx or, or Zoom calls checking their phones all the time. So content needs to be short, sweet, to the point. Um, and yet you need the instructions to install something complicated. Um, so for example, I bought a, a very awesome you know, coffee machine from Breville uh, last month and this morning I couldn't you know, remove a piece of, of, uh, for the water. <laughs> and so I went into the manual and I looked at the page and I never throw the manuals away um, just in case. Yes, I could have gone to Google and say, hey Google, how do you remove this piece from Breville, right? Um, there's, we, um one of the really cool things that uh, that happened to me at NetApp is that I managed the information engineering team as well. So I was able to pair the globalization team and then another team that I'm super honored to manage is the technical publications team. And so that team has done a three, you know, 80 in how we or they used to publish content in the long PDFs, you know, behind the login, on a support site. It would take you a long time to find those publications. Today, you can find anything within a second from a Google engine, right? And you will find exactly the answer of what you're looking for. We index things. We, you know, we do everything focused on Google search or whatever search engines that we need to comply with. Um, We write snippets, we cross-collaborate with marketing, with support. We have a a content strategy for the company so that you author one time and you can reuse it many, 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 many times. So it's changed completely, completely. And yes, um, lots of videos, lots of YouTube channels, um, lots of social media. You know, we, um, we still, and even there's all of this, we still have a lot of people emailing us. You know that they found a, an error in a in a in a <laughs> in a, a, a minuscule error somewhere. That's... Yeah, they love it, and you made a mistake, and you forgot a period, right? So you you see all of it, all of it, um, and and you will ask somebody, what do you think about this piece? They're gonna say it's clear, it's concise, and you ask somebody else, and they're gonna say, you know, you you made a typo. So we need to understand who the personas are, who are we catering to. Some people like me, I am. I took uh, 
many classes on speed reading. This may be why I can do so many things. I read very fast. I'm capable <laughs> of reading in many languages very fast, but you have to train your brain that way, right? But hey, I've also um, have people in my household that are super introverted and they have PhDs, right? And they need to read everything super deep and they underline with a highlighter. They're both okay. <laughs> uh, let me ask you about demonstrating the value of globalization efforts to the organization. I mean, contextualizing it in a broader sense. How do you demonstrate the value that globalization delivers to an organization? Money. And how do you quantify that? How do you show that? Well, the product wasn't globalized. The product is globalized. You track it. And so you can uh, collaborate with the sales force um, and do before and after case studies. Um, I remember um, when I worked at Xerox and I was the head of the international web team, we would do a lot of A-B testing. This link is localized. This link is not localized. And you route the user, the customer, to an English-only experience, or you route the customer to a localized experience, and you track that. So we had a, you know, PhD usability experts at Xerox that would track things like this, because a link that would go down uh, was a lot of money for us. So we were observing weekly, you know, this customer on purpose, we're sending this customer to an English experience only, and we're sending this customer to the Italian experience. The always, always the localized experience will go deeper, would spend longer time on the website. Where we get in trouble is when you have a mixed uh, localized site. If you offer more content in English, the customer will end up going to the English because they cannot find their information in their language. And yes, there's more and more English spoken in the world, la la la, la but still there's data uh, cited by Common Sense Advisory that shows that people like to read in their own language. And there are countries like Japan where 75% of technical, technical users will move away within seconds if something is not in Japanese. So you need to start understanding these data and you present it. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And Absolutely. So, um, then they go like, go ahead, hurry up, localize. Of course. And, and what sort of KPIs and matrix should a typical globalization team develop that captures their efficiency and demonstrates the improvement over time? Oh, we have KPIs for many different things. So remember, I was saying that um, the, the setup that we have right now has three different teams. And so the KPIs are very different for each one of those teams. So if it's the tooling team, their KPIs is the availability and re reliability of the engines, as an example, right? Right. Um, the KPIs... Uh, for Edith is going to be on customer service, on the internal customers requesting localizations as an example, or it's going to be around quality, or it's going to be around speed, it's going to be around innovation. So it, it depends on your goals, whatever your goals are. KPIs are going to be on, you know, ratings for the vendors. Um, KPIs can be definitely on, on SLAs. Um, and on customer satisfaction, etc. I was going to ask you about the type of skills and experience um, and talent that, and personality do you need or uh, an organization needs for a um, globalization leader to be successful. Well, can you list a few of those quickly for me? For a leader, right. speed, candor, clarity, ownership, accountability. They, they need to be very they need to be experts they need to have gone through lots of battles right they have right. Uh, worked with many many stakeholders they uh, typically are very well traveled uh, they're diplomats 
they have good speaking skills, um, they have good inquiry skills, uh, they can synthesize, they can present to executives well, they um, understand the business, they understand how to run innovation, um, you know, it's a lot of expected, right? I mean, they're, they're really turning millions and millions and millions of words um, into multiple languages any given day. So right. you want uh, very experienced people. You want people that are experienced and are not tired. And, and that's very difficult because we get very exhausted uh, because the pressure is pretty high. So we try to, you know, take breaks um, and be there for each other. It's very important that we have values that sustain us um, and that we check in with each other, especially now with COVID, to right. make sure that we're okay. That shows that the team spirit that that exists there um in an effort to understand what goes on in large uh, corporations let me ask you this is it still the case that localization and translation take a back seat i mean it, it's always been an afterthought in the past it it so the companies where we work have thousands of people in them right and remember that we work uh with different departments right. so i think it would be a general statement to say localization takes a backseat uh, because some product managers really thrive on localization and then some product managers have never done localization and so it, it there's always this incredible amount of evangelization of why do you want to localize unless you are a social media company or you're a search engine company or you're a phone company, you know, in, in high tech, we have a harder time uh, because you can have engineers spend their time refining a feature that um, may bring a lot of goodness to the world uh, compared to localization. What you need to bypass is this notion that localization is comparable to a feature. Localization needs to be seen as part of the customer experience, that you're placing a product um, in a way that the customer is going to have a frictionless experience with this with this program or solution or effort or tool or interaction. But the conversations happen all the time, all the time. Wherever I have worked, you you see a lot of executives that have not had to have dealt with localization, but then you, you find a lot of people that are very experienced and demand it. So it's a little bit both ways. What reading material besides your own book, of course, which is amazing, uh, and it's a must read for anyone in this industry. If you're listening, you should get Anna's book. It's amazing. <laughs> what books would you recommend for aspiring globalization leaders? I don't know of many. I, I think that's why I wrote the book. Um, I like... Uh, so there, there are books on marketing globalization. I so I instead of maybe reading books, uh, join organizations. So there is gala for marketing. I saw last week there is an uh, now an entertainment globalization group that just uh, came up. Um, I join women in localization. Women in localization is for men and women. And it's unbelievable. If you become a member, if you become a global member, it's free and you have access to a huge amount of information. There's videos on anything on, you know, gaming localization or sales, you know, getting into the sales business. Um, there's a there's a lot that you can do. One place would be Gala, Women in Localization for sure, uh, Common Sense Advisory. Uh, there's Nimzi. I, I don't know that I can spell that name correctly, but th there is um, many podcasts. Um, you can go to LinkedIn Learning also now. There's little snippets of five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes on um, understanding all of this. Well, as, as we reach the end of this interview, Anna, sadly, I would like to ask for your advice for the people you're speaking to right now. I'm referring to the executives and translation localization firms, localization managers, and everyone else involved in the process of establishing global bridges for companies and government. What do you have to tell them? If you're not having strategic conversation with your clients, have them. 
you know, and do some listening sessions um, and see how can you, you know, support uh, their missions uh, to become the best companies that they can. Anna, we have to end this conversation here today, but we will certainly pick it up uh, in the future episodes because you are a treasure trove of information in our industry. Uh, Your insights are extremely valuable, and I'm sure in our industry, everyone will immensely benefit from your thoughts and experiences that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you and good job. Thanks so much. As always, I spend time looking at some productivity tools that language companies may find interesting and useful. Today we will zoom in on communication tools. First on my list is Microsoft Outlook. It has been the de facto email client for corporate users for decades. There is no email client anywhere that beats the user experience of this software. Actually, based on my findings, nothing comes close to it despite so many claims. Packaged as part of Office 365 now, this software can be used by itself or in conjunction with Microsoft Exchange email server. It gets a solid 10 out of 10 from me. Next, we will have a look at Apple's email product. While it comes pre-packaged with all Apple products, Mail is an easy-to-use and robust client that can easily be configured for sending and receiving email. While it doesn't have all the builds and whistles of Microsoft's Outlook, such as Calendar and Contact, it provides a simple and clean interface for sending and receiving messages across multiple accounts. I give it a 9 out of 10 for being a simple and useful email tool. Third on my list is the email client from Google. We all know it as Gmail. It was the first email client in the world to introduce a thread-like email conversation. While the free public version has beaten every other email service and feature and popularity, the business version comes at a price of course and brings the same features to your privately owned domain and email address. It integrates with clients such as Outlook and uses the popular mail protocols for delivering and sending. While the service is great, there is disparity in the user experience from Gmail client to the standard Android email client. I give Gmail 8 out of 10 for its relevance in business. Alright, this is it for today. What a fascinating conversation with Anna N. Schlegel. She is a gem in our industry and as you heard, she has been involved in the different cycles of evolution of localization industry over the past two decades. Her perspective is very unique and valuable. I hope you were able to find a couple of takeaways to apply to your business or personal improvement. If you find this podcast useful, give us a thumbs up wherever the show is delivered to you. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Keep your comments, questions, and valuable feedback coming. They help us improve the quality of the content. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.